welcome to the very first episode of the conscious and conscious podcast today we have a very special guest all the way from lisbon portugal dr nuno c sosa is a public speaker a psychoanalyst and a youtuber we are really delighted to have you on the show doctor i just want to start this podcast with a basic discussion on what is psychoanalysis because i've noticed that in social media and all, across all the platforms like youtube instagram or whether it be spotify even they are not uh, there is not a very quiet discussion on you know psychoanalysis and i think the goal of this podcast is to you know delve into what is psychoanalysis so if you can just give us a sort of glimpse into what is psychoanalysis it will be very good sure so we first of all uh, psychoanalysis is a, a theoretical field in in the in the field. so not necessarily uh, the psychology on itself because the the origins of psychology is the study of behavior okay So uh, psychoanalysis doesn't focus necessarily on the study of behavior, behavior, behavior patterns. Uh, its goal is to study how the mind of the individual structures, uh, grows, and operates. Okay. So uh, the goal of psychoanalysis is to understand what actually um, uh, becomes behavior, what's behind the behavior. Okay. It's the study of the mind, the structure of the mind, and the dynamic of the mind. Because uh, our mind, our personality, uh, it's it's flexible. Uh, it's not rigid. Uh, although some approaches to the human mind tend to assume that our mind, once it uh, it matures, it sets, and it's more or less like that. And your approach to it must be some kind of condi- conditioning, training, mm-hmm. training behavior. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not how psychoanalysis approaches the mind. Uh, it's the dynamic of the mind, and that's why sometimes you see it as a, a psychodynamic theory or psychodynamic um, psychotherapy. So, I mean, you talked about flexibility, and you know, the it's like a you know sort of a freedom type of aspect, as you know, in other methods of uh, psychology and other fields of psychology. There's not that much freedom, and you know, there's not much that much flexibility. So, what is your opinion on that? How psychoanalysis sort of builds that individuality and builds that sort of flexible flexibility in its practice? Sure, uh, I like to say that psychoanalysis complements uh, or uh, develops psychology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I don't want to be simplistic, but I'll have to be a little bit. Uh, yeah. So, this kind of uh, uh, is easily explained with the time we have. So, yeah. psychology. Studies behavioral tendencies and behavior mm. patterns. Okay, mm. uh, so that is the consequence of um, our most uh, uh, primitive state. So when you mm. go, when we are born, uh, we aren't that elaborate. Our mind is very simple. Mm. So uh, most people have uh, general tendencies that are part of the species. We we are animals, right? Yeah. Uh, so when we are born, our ability to think To analyze things, things in a flexible way, as I, we were talking before, is mm-hmm. not very developed. So uh, psychology, what it does, it kind of tends to structure and study these uh, general tendencies of the human behavior. Mm-hmm. However, uh, what we see a long time is that that human, the human mind, the human individual. The way the, the man tends to analyze society itself and the world tends to develop, to grow, uh, and to be more complex over time. So uh, what psychoanalysis does is explores that that 
field of the, the human uh, development. So psychology, I'd say, is the beginning of this, and psychoanalysis okay. kind of picks, picks, picks things there and takes it to another level. Actually, I, I also think the same way, because I think... What I, yeah, yeah. You can, can continue, Doctor. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I, I was just saying, and that's what I think that's uh, most amazing about uh, sci- uh, psychoanalysis, because when you're working with a patient, when you're uh, mm-hmm. working with, with someone, mm-hmm. uh, your goal is to understand that specific person in front of you. It's mm-hmm. not to compare that person with a database of studies, with a statistic analysis of behaviors or symptoms or whatever. Your goal is to understand the specific context of that person. Of course, that we must uh, take into account that uh, a lot of people criticize uh, psychoanalysis because it's very subjective. Well, it's kind of subjective, but if, just because it is, it is subjective, it's not necessarily not scientific. Um, okay. if, well, technically, uh, uh, psychoanalysis is a pseudoscience, not the science, but the, 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 what's important here is that uh, psychoanalysis studies the human mind in a systematic way. So, of mm-hmm. course, that we take into account uh, what are the general tendencies of the behavior, but most of that, most uh, general tendencies of the human mind, what are common desires, common fears, and how they operate in the life of people. But when we are with uh, someone in front of us, we kind of try to understand from, let's say, that, that huge package of human uh, characteristics with the, the combination of that person in front of us. Uh, and our goal is to give understanding, uh, of, to help the person to get some understanding uh, of uh, what's in hide- inside of uh, their mind. Uh, why do they do this? Why do they feel this? What happened along their life that may have conditioned uh, the way they feel and uh, think in a spontaneous way. So, I mean, you spoke about uh, the type of patients and the type of problems and notions you, you sort of delve into psychoanalysis. I just want to ask that, who is it for? Because uh, in psychology, there is clinical psychology, which takes a look at problems from a clinical angle. There is counseling and then there is psychoanalysis. So, who is it for? I just want to sort of delve into that. What kind of problems does a patient who comes into psychoanalysis have? Mm-hmm. I'd say that psychoanalysis for most problems, the thing is, uh, it, what makes it different is the kind of solution it offers. So when we look at uh, someone's uh, problem, our perspective is not uh, to, to uh, get an understanding on uh, what are the person's flaws or limitations and on how can we kind of give some support to that or train the person to behave in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the solutions we offer is different, is to allow the person to structure uh, its personality, to grow uh, along the process, and to allow them to be more aware of what they like, what, what they don't like, and to uh, develop spontaneous but structured ways, uh, constructive ways, to deal with uh, their own emotions. So I like to say that uh, uh, mental health or uh, uh, symptoms, that's the essence of, uh, of clinical uh, uh, therapy, either counseling or uh, any kind of psychotherapy, 
I like to describe symptoms as different kinds of suffering. Okay. 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 Um, and our approach to the symptoms is to understand how that specific kind of su uh, suffering uh, appeared and uh, uh, settled in the person's life. So I wouldn't say that the what's different uh, in psychoanalysis is not uh, what it's um, the kind of problems it works with is the kind of solutions it offers. Now, actually, before uh, you know doing this podcast. I had a dream and I always maintain a dream, dream diary, sort of a journal where I write my dreams. So I just want to ask as to what are dreams and you know, what does dream mean in psychoanalysis? Because psychoanalysis have a different understanding, a very different understanding of dreams. So I just want to sort of delve into that as to what are dreams mm -hmm. and how psychoanalysis sees it. So uh, nowadays, uh, psychoanalysis doesn't uh, give that much of attention to dreams although they are important, but a simple way to explain them, we, we have to understand dreams uh, as part of our biology. So the okay. easiest answer to what is a dream is a mental night activity where our brain kind of tries to process and structure all the uh, um, episodes and feelings that we uh, had during the day. The, the thing is that the difference between dreaming and thinking is that when we are thinking, we're not dealing with the information in a very structured way. So when we're dreaming, it's like, uh, I like to use this image, you know, when someone uh, opens a Lego box and all the mm -hmm. pieces are yeah. uh, mixed inside. So you can see that there are different pieces. You can uh, uh, see that some can maybe belong to a Lego set, some may belong to another one, but they're all, all there at the same time. So when we are dreaming, there's not uh, a notion of time and there's not a notion of uh, analyzing what you're living. It, it's just okay. everything rolling like, like, um, like a movie, but you're not necessarily thinking about it. Uh, how psycho psychoanalysis approaches to them is when someone tells us a dream, uh, the psychoanalyst knows how the mind operates when the person's asleep. So when someone gives us a dream, we try to understand what's the relevance of that dream in the context of what the person uh, has been telling us during the session. Okay. 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 So the dream works like uh, um, a pictor pictorial uh, interpretation of mm -hmm. the person of what the person uh, of the person's experience. Okay. Uh, there are some authors uh, who inspired themselves in psychoanalytic, psychoanalytic theory. And there are a lot of people that try to get, try to, uh, yeah, get and uh, write on uh, universal meaning for uh, dreams. So if you dream with knives, this means that. If you dream with water, that means yeah. something else. That, that doesn't really mean anything. Um, same people can have similar dreams uh, it can, and both of the, the, the both of them may have some similar experiences behind the dreams but they, they won't be uh, necessarily the, the same so dream analysis so, is not uh, relevant in uh, so, sorry to interrupt so dream yeah, analysis is not, yeah, not yeah. relevant in psychoanalysis or it is relevant in modern times no it, no, it, is, it is relevant but uh, it's 
it's not as important as it was before uh, okay. because you can get the same information from what the person can uh, uh, tell you when she's in front of you. Uh, the difference is how you approach the, the therapy session uh, and and how you um, uh, how you approach what the pe- the person is telling you. Um, when uh, when well you know when, when you go back to Einstein's and he kind of uh, got to understand what happened in the dream. It was a big thing. It was something new. So uh, he spent a lot of time uh, and he wrote a lot uh, about dreams, uh, three books, I think. Um, if I, yeah, I think so. Uh, a lot of authors wrote a lot uh, about dreams and they're still important, but uh, they're not as relevant or they're not as focused as they were before in the clinical setting. It is more like a pop psychology kind yeah, of a situation right, right now. Right, uh, since you were, uh, yeah, yeah, connection is like, so since yeah, yeah, you were right. mentioning you, you like, you like to, to, uh, write yeah. your dreams, yeah. uh, a funny exercise or for you or people who, who kind of remember, tend to remember their, their dreams and to write them, yeah. uh, something curious would be uh, to try to understand, not necessarily the, that repeat, but the kind of mm. emotions that tend to be associated with what you're dreaming. Um, okay. So this can be a, a kind of a fun exercise to understand what kind of emotions um, are mm. being lived when, uh, when uh, while awake. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, speaking of dreams, I, I also want to talk about you know, psychoanalysis gave sort of gave birth to the modern understanding of consciousness and unconscious. What is conscious and what is unconscious in our thoughts? So, mm-hmm. what is the basic psychoanalytic understanding of consciousness and unconscious? Basically, what Freud or you know what psychoanalysis said mm-hmm. about that? So, uh, the idea that uh, Freud uh, showed on uh, the unconscious, he usually said that uh, it's a basic set of in instinct and desires that uh, the person is not always aware uh, okay. that they are uh, experiencing them because our mind tends to filter to repress some emotion that may be uh, perceived as unacceptable uh, for example extreme emotions like lust or anger uh, we are taught not to think about them not to feel them so uh, when uh, the, the mind starts to experience some kind of emotion, uh, there's a part of our brain that says, no, no. And they kind of uh, step under the car. So that's okay. the general idea of the unconscious. Um, so it's like this, uh, this uh, mixture between instincts and primitive uh, uh, impulses. Okay. Uh, the, the conscious mind. Uh, is this part of the mind where the thinking process operates, okay? So uh, now we are talking now, we're talking about uh, things that are consciously coming to our minds, so that's where we, that's uh, the conscious mind. The thing is, uh, once the, the, someone starts to experience, let's say, a situation or a relationship that starts to become more intimate, 
what happens is that you start to be confronted and challenged with your uh, with more intense uh, fears and desires because you become more you become closer to the other person uh, and this is what starts to challenge the unconscious mind uh, starts to challenge our most primitive fears and uh, desires um, so going using an, an, a classic example of uh, psychoanalysis that, that was uh, Freud's first patient, Anna O. Yes, so she had a, several symptoms, physical symptoms. She even, uh, if I recall, had a, a ghost pregnancy. Uh, so the, the, the situation was she was, um, she consciously, was uh, showing symptoms that she could describe, right? As some kind of difficulties or some kind of something that was bringing, him, bringing her some kind of discomfort or suffering. Uh, but once she started to explain to Freud what she, what she lived and they got to understand where those symptoms uh, came from, she got to understand that uh, the basis of her symptoms were desires that she felt she wasn't supposed to have. So these desires were operating uh, in the unconscious mind and they were conditioning uh, the way she behaved uh, consciously. So the unconscious mind uh, uh, tends to be a combination of primitive desires and impulses uh, and uh, these feelings that uh, emotions that that you, you get from uh, certain important relationships that you have along your life and and those emotions that you kind of don't think much about them when you experience them you just kind of feel them and uh, associate with something good or bad uh mm. these, these goes into a storage uh that um kind of triggers the way you filter things in the future or in this case in, in the present if you considering uh, someone's best experience. So actually, I wanted to ask a psychoanalysis. This question is, which is, uh, how relevant is Freud in the modern times? How his theories and his, uh, you know, uh, techniques of thera uh, therapy have evolved over time? Basically, I want to ask this question. Mm -hmm. okay. How has Freud evolved? So, mm -hmm. so uh, Freud is a very criticized for many people, for being a very simplistic, uh, which I think that is half true, half unfair, because it's the same thing as criticizing the primitive man for believing that the earth was wrong. <laughs> so, considering what you know now, uh, you know a lot more than generations before. So, uh, if we, if nowadays we compare what we know about the human mind to what Freud described in his first book, there's a huge gap, a huge, um, you have much more information about it. When Freud started, and we must consider that Freud uh, started from scratch, uh, and he kind of was his own psychoanalyst, uh, I think the things he wrote are amazing. Uh, of course, that we have to understand that nowadays, uh, most of the things he wrote are incomplete, but they are not necessarily wrong. We just need to uh, look at them in the context 
of where they were written. So, even Freud, he developed his theory a long time. So he has he had a first um, let's say a first period uh, that's called the first topic, um, where he talked about the ego and superego. Oh, sorry, the, the uh, conscious and conscious and preconscious. Uh, conscious, preconscious, and unconscious, and he has a second topic where he talks about uh, uh, ID, uh, ego, and superego. So even Freud uh, uh, elaborated on his own theory, and he criticized his own theory. He, he wasn't very much of allowing others to criticize his theory <laughs> uh, because he was struggling. He, he, he was talking about something new, and he was mm -hmm. talking about uh, letting people uh, um, uh, live their desires in a more free way. Uh, and it was like in the 19th century. So a lot of his ideas weren't very, very um, uh, uh, easily accepted. So uh, he was a, a very, he described it as being a very tough guy in the sense that he didn't allow a lot of criticism, uh, but he criticized his own theory. Uh, so, how did psychoanalysis uh, evolve? So, when Freud started writing uh, about uh, the human mind, uh, first he, just, he described how uh, the uh, well, he started describing the uh, uh, the human mind from the beginning. So, since you are, since you are born, so he he said that uh, that the the way um, your personality structures is a consequence of how you were frustrated when you were growing up. Okay. Uh, so, for example, uh, if you are, if when you, if when you were a baby, uh, your mother didn't uh, feed you when you were feeling hungry, then that would impact your personality because you were frustrated, frustrated in a specific period of uh, your uh, development. And if you were frustrated. In that specific period of your development, then you it would be very likely that you would show some kind of symptom, and so on and so forth. It's not uh, incorrect, although it's incomplete. So, okay. what what he started to understand is that okay, so there's this that we have these impulses and we have this frustration. Okay, mm -hmm. so. But things are not as simple as that, because you are frustrated by someone. So you are frustrated either by your father, your mother, your sibling, someone close to you. So it started to uh, to include the relationships uh, in this particular uh, frustration system. So okay. that's an example of that is uh, his description of the Oedipus complex. Okay, uh, so the the simple description is the baby, the child desires a mother and comes a father and says, no, no, that woman is mine. <laughs> uh, you go and find your own lady mm. when you grow up. Yeah. This is a healthy uh, way for the Oedipus complex to be, uh, be separated. Um, uh, yeah, to be overcome. So he kind of started to taking account a little bit of uh, the relationship with um, with others. But he didn't 
work much more on this. And what modern psychoanalysis does is develop, developing this idea. So it's not just about uh, impulse and frustration because this is a bit black and white, a very, uh, yeah, a bit black and white. We take into consideration uh, more nuances of desires. We take uh, in, in consideration uh, the style of the relationship you have with the, the person that has some emotional impact on you. Okay, uh, so the, the modern psychoanalysis takes in a, uh, takes uh, in consideration much more elements uh, than what Freud used to take, but okay. it's uh, it's after what Freud said, so it's it's not disruptive from Freud. It is more uh, holistic, right? It's not. It is more holistic. Uh, modern psychoanalysis is more holistic than what Freud did, right? Uh, it's a way of saying it. Uh, it's uh, uh, it's, it's complements what Freud said. So yeah, it takes it takes in a, it takes more in account the nature of the relationships and more uh, more elements of the relationship uh, you okay. have the relationships you have. Uh, so. This is, oh, and he also, and modern psychoanalysis also takes much more in account uh, emotions that come from the person, because we're not uh, we're not just a consequence of what others did to us. Mm. Um, a way to illustrate this, for example, you have two siblings that had the same kind of relationship with their parents, and the way they experience the relationship with their parents is very different. So this is because, of course, we have our own natural tendencies uh, when we are born. And Freud didn't take this very much into consideration. Uh, so as I said, it was like we have these impulses and we are frustrated. Uh, nowadays, we take into consideration, okay, we have these impulses, but not, not everybody has the same impulses uh, with the same intensity, let's say. And they're not lived exactly the same way. So you can have one brother, for example, that has the tendency to be, you know, kind of defiant, but he's not necessarily aggressive. He just, okay. for example, teases the grown-ups. But you can have another brother that can be a bit defiant, but he can also be a bit aggressive. Okay? So this is more, a more complex way of understanding uh, the dynamics of the relationships and how they impact the development of the mind. Okay. So uh, psychoanalysis nowadays takes uh, into consideration, let's say, more colors. More colors. Yeah. Okay, more colors. So in terms of tools and techniques, what are moral psychoanalysis using in, therapeut in therapeutic sort of a situation? What are the tools and techniques they are using nowadays? The moral psychoanalysts, mm -hmm. like yourself? Yes. So I would say that psychoanalysis doesn't use uh, rigid techniques in the sense okay. that, for example, if you have anxiety, you must uh, respond to anxiety mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to say that the way we approach symptoms are more refined, for example, uh, or uh, to be more specific. Um, psychoanalysis, uh, uh, let's say, strategies, and I'm using the, the differentiating strategies from techniques because uh, I, uh, I describe a technique as a, a, 
standard uh, response mm -hmm. to uh, the specific symptom um, strategy is is uh, an approach to the symptom which the intention not to condition it not to train it but to understand it okay so um the what, what's very characteristic on psychoanalysis let's say the main strategy is first of all it's free association so, so you let the patient speak freely uh and when i start therapy with uh, someone i uh, always tell them so today we've been talking about some things you mentioned but on the next session uh, from my side I don't, uh, I don't have any specific interest on anything. You'll bring me, you'll, you'll talk to me about what's important to you. And then I'll help you elaborate on that. Okay. This is the, the main approach, the main strategy and the main, uh, the, what differentiates psychoanalysis from anything else. Uh, you give, give total freedom for the person to speak. Uh, this is what allows us to understand not only uh, how the person experiences situation, but also to understand how they got that specific stage of experiencing things. That's another thing that's specific to psychoanalysis is that uh, the the symptoms and the personal the patient's personality personality is also analyzed in the context of the relationship with the therapist. Um, okay. Very simple example. Let's say that one day uh, the, the patient is feeling, uh, the patient is feeling very um, uh, tense about, um, about starting to talk, okay? And for what we understood for previous session, uh, we saw that the patient, for example, in many situations of its life, when he he started to express his opinion, he was punished, right? Uh, for grown-ups, let's say. Uh, one, something that we could say to the patient is that it seems that here with me, you're also afraid that I might punish you, and that's probably why you're afraid to speak to me right now, okay? Uh, so the symptoms are also uh, approached considering the relationship with the, with the psychoanalyst, and this is very specific to psychoanalysis. Um, besides that, uh, depending on the uh, person, the patient we have with us, the, the, the symptoms they have, we have several ways of, uh, approaching the, 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 the patient, what, what maybe, uh, it's their main concerns, their main desires. We have, different ways to approach. So I was, I was just saying that depending on the personality structure you have in front of you, depending on the symptoms, uh, we, you may approach the topics with a different attitude, uh, to mm -hmm. make things uh, easier for the patient. So the way you approach the topics kind of, uh, helps the patient to approach, uh, a topic that is hard on him. For example, uh, I was giving this example of an OCD patient okay. who uh, had, who, uh, the, uh, had this habit of washing his hands a lot whenever he was uh, feeling angry about something. Um, 
So his general way of describing anger was in a very um, uh, robotic way. He would describe the situation uh, as an accountant is describing uh, some kind of uh, mathematical operation. Um, and he was describing a situation when someone had had uh, uh, been uh, well mean to him, but he was describing it describing it with no emotion. Uh, and he he described the, the story and he asked me, "Do you have anything to say? Do you have any insight on this?" And I just replied, "Well, I won't say here, but I just used the F word." I said, "Huh?" And you were like. What? <laughs> I said, yeah, that uh, you must have been, <laughs> that must have really pissed you. And he was like, well, actually it is. And then he started to describe how that situation made him angry. Okay. Uh, so, so I didn't uh, tell the patient to react in a specific way. Just the way I approached the situation, it was going to make the things easier for the patient to experience his own emotions uh, more freely, okay? Because his uh, discomfort about feeling angry uh, was uh, uh, showing up as these OCD symptoms. So the, his conscious mind, he would feel this need to uh, have some kind of uh, repetitive behavior because while he was doing something repetitive, he was uh, kind of uh, filling his mind, distracting his mind, uh, his unconscious mind was telling, ah, you're really angry, but you're not allowed to feel angry. Okay. So doctor, actually I was going through your profile and I found that you shifted from clinical psychology to psychoanalysis. So, I mean, I just want to ask that what influenced you, what drove you towards psychoanalysis that you, sh did you that you made a gradual shift to psychoanalysis? As to what were the motivating factors? So uh, in Portugal uh, and mostly in Europe, uh, mm -hmm. psychoanalysis or yeah, for you to become a psychoanalyst, um, you have to, to it's a post degree. So first, uh, you study either psychology or psychiatry at university, mm -hmm. uh, and once you graduate, graduate, you're a clinical psychologist. Uh, after that, if you want you need to apply for a scientific institution uh, that teaches you some psychotherapy. And that's when I happened sometimes, and that was my case, is that when you are in university studying uh, clinical psychology, some universities already kind of uh, are, uh, are more focused in some historical approach for or psychotherapy. Uh, so when I studied my university, the main university for studying psychoanalysis, uh, to study uh, psychoanalysis while studying clinical psychology. Uh, you have, for example, under other universities uh, where you um, study clinical psychology, but their, uh, their approach is more uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's just part of uh, how things uh, work here uh, in Portugal and mostly in uh, in Europe. First, you study either psychiatry or uh, clinical psychology, and then you apply uh, as a psychoanalyst. 
and to be a psychoanalyst, uh, you you must know some uh, requirements. But the but the funny thing uh, and uh, about my my uh, uh, my background is that. I, on, uh, I only discovered cyclonic when I was in 12th grade. Before that, so I was just saying, so when I was studying uh, IT, uh, I felt it actually wasn't for me. And I remembered, hmm, uh, that psychoanalysis thing seemed interesting. Maybe I should give it a try. And okay. that's when I uh, searched for a university to study psychology with a psychoanalytic approach. And that's when I signed up for for this okay now speaking of you know uh, we are speaking about you know portugal i want to ask that how culture difference cultural differences in psychology play a big role because uh, if if you know see in america or in the northern american uh, countries and you know that sort of area they have a very individualistic culture and we are you you are coming from you coming from portugal and i'm coming from india we are basically collectivistic culture. So how does that sort of a culture plays a big role in psychoanalysis? I want to ask. Mm -hmm. So uh, psychoanalysis is much more developed in Europe than uh, America. Uh, and I think that's mostly because uh, cultural, cultural uh, differences. So society in America, and that's part of American history. People yeah. went to America to make money, uh, mostly immigrants from Europe. So the way the society was structured, it was focused on action and to be focused. Yes. So uh, that kind of shaped the way the Americans think. Uh, so you see that in America, where is where, uh, uh, for example, coaching uh, is like booming because you have someone who tells you what to do the best way possible to uh, to achieve results. Uh, and that's also uh, kind of the, uh, the perspective on CBT. You find the problem, find the solution. Uh, let's see how, what, how, uh, let's see what we can do to solve the problem. Uh, psychoanalysis is a different approach. First, you need uh, the, 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 the idea is, of course, we have goals. Of course, we have to solve situations, but we are not focused only on action. And that this goes back to what we were talking in the beginning. Of course, it's behavior is important to us, but behavior has a lot of things behind it. So if we don't take that into consideration, uh, there's a high risk of making things happen in a very simplistic way. It's not necessarily a bad way. It's not necessarily a destructive way, but there's a high risk of making it very simplistic. And if you're uh, approaching things in a way that can make uh, the the outcome be very simplistic, then you're not helping uh, uh, evolution. You're not uh, helping to any kind of growth. You're just focused on making things work. Okay. Making things work, not in a bad way, but not necessarily in an optimized way. And I think that's the the the, the big uh, the big quality about psychoanalysis. It's uh, mostly about uh, optimization. <laughs> and growing, not just making things work. So, I mean, uh, psychoanalysis is a very criticized field, I must say, because I have felt that, uh, you know, in, psych in psychology departments and, you know, in psychology literature, of course, that psychoanalysis is criticized a lot. So I just want your opinion on its criticism because uh, I've heard this a lot that 
psychoanalysis cost a lot the thera- the therapeutic method of psychoanalysis it's very costly and also uh, the the question of sci- its scientific credibility has always been there that is not scientifically cre- ter- credible so i just want you to sort of you know delve into the critis- criticisms around psychoanalysis and some mm-hmm. of them might be true but some of them might not be because it's the mainstream yeah. understanding at the mm-hmm. end yeah uh, so uh, as i mentioned before uh, psychoanalysis is not a traditional science in the sense that you can't measure everything in an objective way it depends this doesn't mean that it's random okay. so it's it has a systematic approach and understanding uh, to the human mind uh, it's just not measured in the traditional way uh, of uh, exact sciences and that's uh, one of its main criticisms also uh, i i See, I hear, I read a lot of criticism to psychoanalysis by people who didn't get a very good understanding of psychoanalysis. Yes, yes that's absolutely. not necessarily their their fault. Uh, I mean, I, I say that most. I I know people who who are, don't have a good image of psychoanalysis because they didn't have a good experience with their psychoanalysis. That happens, uh, but you know, you can criticize medicine just because you found a doctor you didn't like, and that doesn't necessarily mean the doctor was a bad doctor. Something might ha- happen. Uh, so I'd say that uh, psychoanalysis is uh, very misunderstood uh, because of some kind of experiences people might have had with psychoanalysis and they didn't get it. Also, and I say this a lot, psychoanalysts are the worst marketeers ever. They yeah, suck I agree. At marketing. Yeah. They suck uh, <laughs> because they tend to make things so uh, in, a very, in, a, in a way that's so intellectual. That's so yeah, poetic. Yeah. Most of the time, people who aren't inside of the language of psychoanalysis just don't yes. get it. So there's some uh, there's a language you can use when you're with the patient for a while. So when you say certain things in a certain way, uh, they'll get it. Uh, but <laughs> the most psychoanalysts tend to make right quotes and serious quotes and post it on social media, and you know most people don't understand it. Uh, and the most psychoanalysts, they kind of feel that if you try to make psychoanalysis uh, a topic that's trendy, then you're not being a psychoanalyst. No, psychoanalysis is like uh, a very uh, uh, intellectual thing. So uh, they, they kind of work in a bubble, uh, in a very outdated bubble. And I think that's very bad because this gives a wrong impression on psychoanalysis. Um, so I, I say the, 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 the biggest enemy to psychoanalysis is, uh, the psychoanalysts who, who don't know how to uh, speak in a clear way about it. Uh, and that also helps to, uh, psychoanalysis being misunderstood. Um, but that's, that's, that's my, uh, my, my perspective. I think that psychoanalysis, uh, is, uh, is very misunderstood. Uh, because it is hard to understand and psychoanalysts haven't been making a good work on making it more understandable to the general audience. Uh, You were mentioning the the price of psychoanalysis. It has its price. Uh, Depending on the country you're in, uh, you can pay a very high fee uh, for a session. But 
I don't think that the price is necessarily higher uh, than uh, uh, other theoretical uh, approaches sessions. Uh, what happens with psychoanalysis is that uh, since uh, we try to uh, make the best uh, of what the patient has to grow, it can take some time. And since you're working with so many details, sometimes you need more than one session per week. So it is a big investment. Uh, but if you look at the results you can have, and if you consider that once you finish your own psycho, your, uh, psychoanalysis, probably you won't need help anymore. Uh, it's not that much more expensive than uh, other approaches. Uh, because it makes up in the long time, on the long, in a, on, on the long term. Um, and if you consider how expensive it is to uh, study psychoanalysis, well, it has its price. But for example, uh, well, I don't know, I don't want to, um, uh, to be unfair, but for example, if you have someone who's uh, depressed and gets this idea, that uh, they should, for example, get um, uh, cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgery will be much more expensive than your therapy. And after cosmetic surgery, you'll stay depressed again. So uh, if you analyze the price of your of a, uh, psychoanalysis compared to the, the absolute price of other uh, approaches and uh, how people spend money trying to fight their suffering on the long term, I wouldn't say that psychoanalysis is that much more expensive. It has its price, of course. And it's hard, and it, you know, it, a lot, if you want to do your therapy, if you want to invest in your, your, yourself, you, it, it's an effort, but you know, I paid for my therapy, so I know how much, how it costs. <laughs> My, my therapy took, my psychoanalysis took uh, nine years. Uh, this is also considering I, I, I was uh, applying to be a psychoanalyst, so things were a bit tougher on me. Uh, but it took nine years. I know how much it costs. So. <laughs> it but depends. I, yeah. I, yeah, it depends on how you look at it. But uh, yeah. again, uh, I, I don't cry the money I invested in my uh, psychotherapy. It really helped me a lot. Besides that, I had to do it to, to apply as a psychotherapist. I mean, this also answers the question because a lot of people think that, you know, psychotherapists and psychologists are susceptible to, you know, emotional and mm-hmm. feeling feelings, uh, breakdowns and all these you know, mm-hmm. sort of disorders. So I think mm-hmm. your experience sort of answers that qu- question too, that even a psycho- psychologist and a psychoanalyst can also, you know, go to therapy. Now we are in a, yeah. run, uh, we are running out of time. So yeah. I'll just ask you one last thing. As to what is the future of psychoanalysis, how the, you know, sort of the future will see psychoanalysis, how it will evolve and, you know, what is its, you know, upcoming mm-hmm. future. If like a person, I want to, you know, I want to go into psychoanalysis. So what future it holds for me? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'd say the first the challenge of psychoanalysis for the future is what you just mentioned, is how will psychoan- uh, psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis, uh, um, uh, prove itself as uh, uh, something good for people. And uh, as I was saying, 
I think a big part of the future psychoanalysis is for psychoanalysts to, uh, to learn how to talk about it <laughs> to the general audience. Okay. And, and to stop this, I see there's a lot, a lot of psychoanalysts, that, and this happens everywhere, it's not just psychoanalysts, but it happens a lot with psychoanalysts. So the, the idea of going for psychoanalysts, for, for, to apply it to be a psychoanalyst, is just a way to prove yourself. So when you talk about yourself, you're not necessarily, when, so when you're talking about psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis, you're not necessarily talking about psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis, you're just showing off and showing how many books you read. So that doesn't help. And this happens, happens a lot with uh, psychoanalysis. Because since you're not talking about psychoanalysis, you're not making things clear to people. You're just showing off. Uh, so uh, a big challenge for psychoanalysis is for uh, psychoanalysts to learn to be humble and how to market to talk about psychoanalysis in a way that is understandable. Um, and uh, besides that, I think that the theory and the the approach to patients is going on the right track in the sense that we were talking before the way they can they approach the, the each each person's uh, experience. Yeah. Um, I'd say that it, it, nowadays it's starting to uh, we start we start to have this uh, this uh, approach that is neuropsychoanalysis. So it's what has psychoanalysis to learn with the neurosciences with neurology. Okay. Um, so what what so far so good. A lot of uh, the things that were written by psychoanalysts are being proved by the neurosciences. But uh, I'm curious to see what, uh, what there's to come. We have a few authors that are exploring it. A big one is uh, Eric Kandel. Uh, I think he won the Nobel Prize for Medicine. I don't want to lie. Uh, so whoever is listening, check on that. <laughs> uh, I have and we have many more authors that uh, are uh, approaching psychoanalysis with this. Uh, with these ideas of neuro, uh, neurology. So I think the future of psychoanalysis is mostly this. So that was the first episode of the Conscious and Conscious podcast. Uh, we had a great talk, Dr. Nuno, and I, I really liked it. And, you know, I hope the audience will get a better understanding on psychoanalysis. And I hope that, you know, people will go into uh, the field of psychoanalysis and try to, you know, understand it. And uh, all the links to Dr. Nuno's social profiles and his YouTube channel will be given below. He's a YouTuber, by the way. So do check out his channel and subscribe. And so this was the, f this was the first inaugural episode of the Conscious Unconscious podcast. Thank you, Nuno, for coming. And uh, we'll try to get more episodes and get you on more episodes on this, on this show. I hope you enjoyed the same. Thank you. Show. I'd be glad about it. Thank you for having me. It was a great talk and it's uh, very uh, pleasing for me to, to see the new people from uh, 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 everywhere around the world, uh, uh, showing this interest on psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis and like psychoanalysis. Just one more uh, comment. Uh, considering uh, your culture, you're uh, you're Indian, uh, so I don't know if you know Wilfred Bian. He was a big influence for me. Uh, he's uh, so he well technically he's British, but his parents uh, were Indian. Um, so he's a uh, one of for me, it's one of the, the biggest authors uh, on psychoanalysis, okay. Wilfred Dion, D-I-O-N. Uh, uh, so uh, anyone okay. interested, just Google for his name. He's 
for me, he's the man. <laughs> okay, okay, that's that's interesting. He's, 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 he's right on steroids. <laughs> he's really great. But thank you, thank you very much, Doctor, for coming on the show. It, it was a really insightful experience with you, and thank you for coming. Thank you, and keep, keep up all the success for your podcast.